0: Blog TALK RADIO Good morning everyone, this is Deb from Media Night Radio. As everyone knows, we have actor Tristan Rogers with us today. Daytime audiences have gotten a treat with Tristan last year and this year. He has not only reprised his role on General Hospital playing WSB agent Robert Scorpio, But as of March, he is back on the number one daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, causing trouble as Colin Atkinson. Colin seems to be romancing Jill again, so we will talk to Tristan about the differences in his character this time around. In between his stints on daytime, Tristan has also been portraying Commissioner Lex Martin on the web-based series The Bay by Gregory J. Martin since 2010. We will talk to Tristan about his years in daytime, through the wire, and his many experiences in the business. Let's welcome to the airwaves the one and only Tristan Rogers. Hi, Tristan.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. How are you this wonderful L.A. dreary morning?
1: <laughs> well, if I was in L.A., I guess it, I, I, I could answer the question, but I'm not. Uh, I'm out of town. So the weather down here is a a little more pleasant.
0: Oh, well, I'm jealous, but uh, I guess we have more gloom today. Um, (laughs) Tristan, you grew up in Australia. What kind of an upbringing did you have since you weren't from the States? Uh, not,
1: Not too dissimilar from a comparable period of time. In the U.S., you know, other than the fact that you drive on the other side of the road, there really isn't a whole lot of differences over there.
0: Oh. Well, I spoke with with an actor who actually went to school, and they had walkie-talkies for their, um, it was so rural. I guess he was out in a rural part of Australia. And there was walkie-talkies in the classroom or something, and they had to do their work that way. I don't know. It yeah, sounded that's, that's
1: Really out back there. I mean, you had a lot of, uh, they used to have what was called the two-way radio schools where you, uh, it was kind of like homeschooling, except you used a radio. And uh, I can't imagine such a thing, but I guess it worked for a lot of people.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, I I can't even imagine because that's that's so, you know, removed from from what our education is here. Um, Well, so what led to your decision to pursue acting as a career?
1: There was an accident. Uh, It was nothing I ever really set out to do. Um, I was working in a rock band at the time and we weren't making a whole lot of money. So I needed to supplement my income. So I started doing commercial work. And that kind of moved sideways into acting. But there was never any clear intent to do it. I mean, I managed to uh, accomplish what I wanted to do, which was just make a bit of money. Then after that, it started to get a little more complicated. How so? Um, Well the band folded around like the late 60s and um, I sort of had to make a decision what I wanted to do at that point. It was too bad because I really wanted to continue with, with music but unfortunately, it just, it just didn't seem to pan out. Um, the breaks weren't there um, and I wasn't making the contacts. On the other hand, I was making a lot of contacts in the commercial field So I just started to do more and more commercial work and moved away from the mainstream rock music. And that led to more and more uh, opportunities. But um, for a long, long time, there was never any real commitment on my part to sit down and do anything, to really apply to it, like to do classes or go to acting school or any of that stuff. That didn't happen until much later in my career, ironically.
0: (laughs) Well, what, what kind of rock band were you in, Tristan?
1: Uh, your typical rock band from the 60s. You know, everybody, want, everybody trying to duplicate the Beatles. Uh, um. Stuff like that. We, we kind of lumbered along for about four or five years doing it.
0: Oh, and so and, fun. Uh, it was
1: interesting, but nothing that I look back on now as being in any way career-shaping.
0: Interesting. Uh, do you do you pick it up in your hobby time, or is it something that you love still?
1: No, it's something which I've completely moved away from. Um, once I left it, once I started to get involved in what I was doing, I decided that that was probably uh, my time would would be more gainfully spent by concentrating on that mm-hmm. rather than you know trying to have this foot in the past
0: absolutely, absolutely so let's talk about the beginning of your acting career what was your first job as an actor I mean not, besides commercials your first role in something
1: I would have been in Melbourne and it would have been uh, uh, it was a local production at the time and I was, uh, things were pretty crude back there. And, uh, the audition itself kind of took place in the lobby. Oh. <laughs> there was no casting director's office. They shared it with a lot of other people. So we stayed, we stood there in the lobby, uh, doing this read through and, um, the woman said, yeah, I think we can use you, uh, you can go down, st- go downstairs and, uh. Uh, that's my dogs <laughs> something's upset them uh, I'll just move to a quieter place <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the deal was that I literally just went downstairs got measured for an outfit signed a contract and started work the next day it was nothing more complicated than that I swear you
0: wow. and
1: after that it um it just kept on going. Uh, I kept on getting more work with the same company, um, and I could get through lines without like falling over myself. And I kept on getting better, and the roles got bigger. And finally, uh, finally, I, I I landed a series, um, which involved a move to Sydney. It oh. was a good move, as it turned out. But the series didn't last long. think It went for about 13 episodes and was just fraught with political mumbo-jumbo. And I kind of decided at that point that I didn't want to act anymore. I thought, if this is really what it's all about, I think I'll forget about it. And so I moved to London and got back in commercial work again. And, of course, it was quite a lot more lucrative over there sure and uh and there was more work and you you know you were working all throughout europe and i kind of liked that but um after about uh a year of doing that i kind of started to think well maybe the acting is a better way to go so um I decided that I'd have another shot at the acting side of things. But of course, over in London, things were a hundred times more competitive. And um, they really took acting seriously over there. So at that point, I had to make a commitment to it, um, to decide that, you know, yeah, this was what I wanted to do. And um, that's, it just kept on going from there. Wow
0: what What is the most valuable lesson you have learned that you have been able to carry through throughout your career
1: uh, i think uh I think one of the things maybe the main thing is that you shouldn't take everything out there at face value mm-hmm. and that even the most um even the most uh, obtuse or the the vaguest kind of a job or a deal that you're getting involved in could lead to something much more important. And this happened on a number of occasions. Um, It's ironic when I was working in London and I was doing so many things there. I was working clubs. I was working behind the bar. I was working as a disc jockey. I was working as a model. I was acting as whatever came along. I did it. And uh, we were at a party one night at this uh, very wealthy industrialist's house in um, Piccadilly. And uh, he had this beautiful house here and, and all these kids, I don't know where the hell he found all these people, but literally this place had kind of become a hangout for all these kids. And so we're sitting there chatting and there was this girl reading a deck of cards cards a deck of cards and it came my turn of course I wasn't the total skeptic where these things are concerned and I sort of you know rolled my eyes and said oh yeah why not so um, I pulled all these cards out of the deck randomly And she said, hmm, this is really interesting. Uh, And she gave this, I mean, I've never in my life, as I said, I'm a total skeptic where these things are concerned, but this girl gave a very accurate description of me at that time, who I was hanging out with, my parents, what I was doing, and then she started talking about the future. And she said, well, you're not going to stay in this country she said, I see you going somewhere else, uh, maybe the United States. And um, she said, you're going to meet a succession of women, and these women are going to be extremely influential in your life. And she described to A.T. Gloria Monty.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Described her physically everything. It was the most, of unca- course, I didn't believe a word of this at the time. And uh, literally within about two years after that took place, I'd moved back to Australia and had taken a lot of ideas, which she said would actually happen, um, but not specifically. I mean, you've got to be careful what these people tell you. And and how to read it, actually, is more important, or how to interpret it, because um, a lot of these predictions they make are very, very broad not specific and they're designed that way however i'd never actually forgotten this this meeting and it was ironic time how i met gloria and what and what happened after that and a series of other women that came into my life that changed uh that changed my direction on doing things and attitudes etc etc so yeah i'd have to say that this, this girl, or whatever whoever her name is, she had an ability, and she, she, uh, she nailed what I was doing right down to a T. The only thing she didn't come up with was the name of the show, but she said, it's something to do with medicine. I mean, how, how specific can you be?
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, that is amazing.
1: Yeah. It was a pretty incredible, I think back on that now, and I try to think, uh, remember what, what other things she may have said, but unfortunately I can't really come up with them. But Yeah. yeah that was a well, nice it,
0: thing to get together. It, it's possible that if, when things start happening, if there was more that you will recall it then, you know what I mean? Like a recall in the circumstances that you're in, like, yeah. oh my God. Right.
1: You could be right.
0: Wow. That's that's incredible, uh, Tristan. Wow. Okay, so when General Hospital came calling with the role of iconic super spy and WSB agent Robert Scorpio, what was your initial reaction to doing a daytime drama and what drew you to the role?
1: Well, it was just a job. You know, it was my first job in the country, but basically it was just a job, and I had no idea at the time how uh, significant General Hospital was. This was around October, November, uh, October, November, December of um, 1980, and GH was the number one show at that point. Right. Uh it had a lot of momentum. I mean, people were looking at the Luke and Laura thing. And when I went round and mentioned, you know, I was doing General Hospital, everyone sort of looked at me aghast and said, my God, that's incredible. You know, that's such a break. You've got no idea what you've stumbled into. And I really didn't have any idea what I'd stumbled into right. until, uh, until later on in, in and things got really busy back in early 1981 then then i could see yeah okay this is going to be a great ride
0: do you, do you remember uh do you remember doing a radio broadcast of a christmas carol with Sharon Wyatt
1: oh uh, no i mean uh, i did hundreds of those things back then
0: and yeah it was in LA it was in LA and it was Christmas Eve and it was on, it was on kiss. It wasn't on kiss FM cause it, kiss FM wasn't on, um, at that time. It was anyway. Um, I remember it because I listened to it as a child.
1: <laughs> Can't say that I have any recollection of that at all.
0: But, uh, well, you were, inc- it was incredible. It really was. It was, it was different because, You know, it was just audio. It wasn't video, and it was taking a classic and, you know, doing it. So I wanted to ask you, how different is doing radio than being on stage? I mean, is it? Uh, It's wonderful. It's the best. I love voice work. Uh, I love the radio. It's terrific
1: because you've only got got sound to paint a picture with and and so you you become a lot more attuned to what you're saying and how you're saying it
0: to get a point um, right right well I can I can see that does it does it change the way uh, you deliver like your lines or or what you're trying to get across differently than if you were on like, say, filming it? Do your inflections change? Does your your voice tone change? Or would it be the same on stage and filming?
1: No, it changes. Um, It does change. And uh, there is such a thing as what's called radio technique. And I'd done a couple of radio plays way before that. Mm -hmm. So I had a rough idea... uh, what was important and what wasn't important, but if you're doing that kind of work all the time, you develop, uh, you develop a sort of an announcer's delivery, right. and you articulate a little better, you um, you modulate a little differently. Um, I can't go into all the specifics of it, but yeah, it, it does have an impact on you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, because that's all they. That's all they hear, and it's only your voice, and you have to get the point across, just like um, doing an interview on the radio versus filming.
1: Yeah, and you know the the, the style of doing things on the radio has changed so much. Um, I, I can remember I used to hang out with a lot of radio people back in the '60s, and. Uh, you know, some of them had a really, really frenetic delivery, some of them not so much, more laid back. But generally, you know, after they'd done a three- or four-hour stint, they were all absolutely exhausted, regardless of what their technique was. It was it's hard work to do it, and, and you've got to be very focused.
0: I can only imagine. So we talked a little bit about Gloria Monti earlier. Um, you were part of that of that time period, of the Gloria Monty years, which was uh, unmistakably one of the most um, known times in daytime drama, and when General Hospital was known worldwide. Since then, it's changed a lot. Um, General Hospital is not worldwide anymore. But what was... What was it like working in that time period when daytime drama was king? I mean, it was something to be admired and, and everything else about it was just larger than life. What was that like for you?
1: Well, it was a unique experience, uh, something that I, at the time, Uh, certainly wasn't prepared for. Well, I I, I wasn't prepared for the uh, the momentum and the recognition and all that stuff that General Hospital had right across the U.S. It's funny because, you know, if we'd been producing this show in New York, it would have been almost impossible to live there. Being in L.A., it wasn't so bad. You know, L.A. is top heavy with celebrities and they're kind of taken for granted so there was a degree of flexibility in la but whenever you left la and went somewhere else especially to the east coast i mean you created a lot of problems there had to be security around you all the time you couldn't be allowed to walk you couldn't just go for a walk on the street i mean it was traffic stopping. It was just unbelievable, and that—that that was like all the way up and down the eastern seaboard, uh, and across you know Chicago, Detroit, uh, Philly, all those places, all the big cities. Uh, General Hospital was number one show, and anyone associated with General Hospital was, for one of the better term, a cultural phenomenon. Right. And it's you know that's just what happened. And it it happened for quite a while. I was playing a rather unusual character uh, with an accent which was different, and uh, the role itself was a somewhat of a glamorous role as as this spy, and you know it all added to the mix, and the public was just totally swept up with it.
0: What would you say was your was the craziest experience you experienced back then? You said that if you went out you would have to have security. Was there ever a, a time that you went and went somewhere and you just were bombarded and you just didn't know what happened, you know, what what the hell is this?
1: well there were a lot of experiences like that Uh, as I said they all took place outside and away from California but uh, probably uh, uh, one of the craziest times I was in New York and um, we were in upstate New York somewhere might have been Buffalo I don't know I'm, I'm not sure and uh I was doing a, an appearance at a hospital, a children's hospital. And then after that, I was going over to a, uh, uh, to a, a, a telethon where I was hosting that. So we get to the, the hospital, and that part of it's organized. And I'm walking around talking to these kids and taking photographs, signing things generally trying to be amusing under the circumstances and so we get to the uh i get we get to the telephone. i guess the word got out and there's like about four or five thousand kids outside they'd they'd locked the studio up <laughs> they'd locked all the gates so i couldn't get in oh so i'm stuck outside like at the mercy of these people finally uh my wife at the time just grabbed some guy and said look you better get him out of here if he gets killed we're going to sue you (laughs) and so what they did is someone got on the phone and uh, they sent about 600 of the National Guard around
0: (laughs) oh my gosh
1: yeah it was a really cool time sitting there talking to these guys they had no idea what was going on um, and these guys are all armed, and it's just a little me standing there, like in the middle of these 600 people, these 600 soldiers. And we kind of just moved. We just got through the gates, and after that, everything was, and they left them there. They, they were stationed outside. But right And, of course, the fact that I was there, and, of course, once I got on camera, more people came down, so we kind of just, Kept on adding to it and adding to it. Interesting time. That was one of quite a few instances like that at that time.
0: Wow. And and Gloria was aware of all of these mishaps that you guys went through. I mean, did she realize that she had created that with the soap?
1: She knew it. But she never talked about it. It wasn't something that interested her. You know, she had the show to deal with and maintaining the show and managing the show, and that kept her going. The rest of it, she didn't care about. Interesting.
0: Very interesting. Okay, let's, let's talk Young and the Restless. Your character of Colin has gone through a lot in, in the time he's been on the show. Yeah. Who is Colin Atkinson? Who is he?
1: Good question. And I don't think that they know the answer to that question yet uh they know that the guy can't be a super baddie indefinitely and so there has to be there has to be another side to him or other sides to him that make him redeemable this is important Mm -hmm. um and kind of we're we're seeing that now you won't see it yet but uh definitely a lot of evidence that this guy is going to change however there's always going to be a larcenous side to him he's not going to change completely he's going to do things and get away with them to a point and I think this is where Jill comes in
0: uh-huh. she's
1: kind of his conscience
0: right Right. She
1: has a larcenous side to her as well, which he supports and encourages,
0: right. but
1: she's not like him.
0: Right. Well, you can, tell, you can tell as much as Colin is a larcenous, like, dastardly guy, he cares about Jill. He truly yeah, cares, he about cares about
1: He cares about his family. I mean, that's very yes. important to him.
0: Yes, even though I mean, they don't want to believe that.
1: Yeah. Um, we're getting into that now. And uh, you'll see a lot more of it. And, you know, the family gradually, I guess, is going to allow him more flexibility with his grandkids who have become very important to him because other than Kane, there's no other family. Right. And so we're seeing this conflict within the character he's a much more complex character than Robert Scorpio yes uh, you know Scorpio basically was you know find the bad guys kill them if you have to and that was it uh, whereas uh, Collins not that way I doubt that Collins ever killed a person in his life he might have messed a few up but I don't think he's killed anybody right right Well,
0: it was interesting how they brought him back with the with the whole jewel heist you know and that was an interesting way of you know because Colin was a a part of that and then you were like okay which way are we going here
1: what we're seeing now is the other side of that that there are there are other people involved in that heist, and we're seeing them come forward now.
0: Got it. Got
1: and how it. does he deal with that? But you know, there's a, there's a side of him which is uh, he is what he is. You know, he's he grew up a certain way, and he can't just turn around and change. On the other hand, he has a conscience.
0: Right. Who, what do you think drives Colin in all aspects? I mean, what is it that drives this guy? Uh,
1: you know what? I don't think we've truly got into that yet. Um, but These are the elements of, of him that interest me more than the uh, storyline. Storyline's just like it could be about anything. Right. So it's him as the character that I'm more interested how he is evolving, how he's developing, which way they're taking him, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's flexible enough that you can go do anything with him. Right. That's one thing I like. And so, you know, expect to see him messing around with a lot of people, including Victor.
0: <laughs> yes. That is a welcome change because nobody messes with Victor except for Jack and Jack and Victor have that, you know, situation, but it's nice to have that, you know, that arch enemy in there and yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, expect to see something happen in the future in
0: that respect. Interesting. Very good. See, you heard it here first, guys. Um, Y&R just celebrated their 40th anniversary. How how does it feel being above this show now when you were part of, you know, GH was 50 years. This is 40 years. It, it, they're two different styles. How does it feel being a part of the Y&R family?
1: Well, the irony here was is that back in the 90s, when I was doing Bold and the Beautiful, yes. I uh, sat down and and had a I was at a party, and Bill Bell was there, oh. and um, he, said, uh, he said to me, uh, how would you feel about coming over to Young and the Restless after you finished this stint in Canada, because I was just at that point about to move, lock, stock, and barrel, oh. for about uh, six to eight months, and I said, yeah, I'd like to talk about it a whole lot. He said, "Good." He said, "When you when you're done with this, come in and we'll we'll chat." Well, that never actually happened. We never did get around to talking about it until, of course, the fact that he's now passed, mm. uh, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's a meeting that's never going to happen. But uh, it's ironic that uh, I finished up on the show like ten. Um, about 15 years later. Wow. Which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and you... And the son is there, the Bill Bell Jr. Well,
1: one of the things, uh, the, the comparison between uh, what I did on General and what I did on Young and the Restless is very, very similar. I came on to General Hospital to do a two-day role, Scorpio wasn't planned for just beyond this first appearance. And I came under Young and the Restless to do a 10-show role. And effectively, I I was brought on to take Daniel Goddard off the show. And these things changed. (sighs) Similarity between my experiences on both shows is uh, quite ironic.
0: Yes, I would say so. Um, Now, you not only do Young and the Restless, you also do the Bay. Well, that's a
1: different animal altogether. Um, I've been a big advocate of using the Internet and getting out there and producing stuff on the Internet to experiment, et cetera, et cetera, and I've I've done quite a bit of it with varying degrees of success. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bay is important in, in the way that there's probably about 50 shows uh, currently on the net um, in various degrees of production that are, you know, kind of struggling along. Uh, but there are shows that, that demonstrate that uh, the soap opera genre is alive and well, and that there's plenty of people out there that want to support it. Right. And that's been my that's been my push all along is to just get people out there get an idea get out there film it see how it looks tweak it experiment with it don't be anything goes anything at all I mean there's nothing too crazy that you can put out there Uh, the bay by comparison is a very um uh, the word I'm looking for it's traditional it's a traditional kind of soap Mm -hmm. um with a lot of those soapish themes that we all know and love over the last 30 or 40 years. And that's what it is. Uh, where it's going to go, I have no idea.
0: Interesting. What, you, what is the difference, or if, is there a difference between filming The Bay and, say, The Young and the Restless? And what, what are those differences, if you can tell us what the difference is between online and actually network?
1: Well, you've got a lot more pressure under you. On network, because there's a lot more money at stake, and you're always fighting the clock. Uh, you've got to get it done within a certain period of time, and you, as the actor, become very aware of this. So, consequently, you know there's not going to be a lot of takes. You've got to get it right immediately, and if you get another take after that, make it better or change whatever you want to change. But um, that's essentially the big difference in a show like the Bay. Resources are rare. Um, the final product generally turns out to be better than it has a right to be because of the fact that you know you you don't have those resources. But still, at the end of it all, um, it's a good ride, and I think it makes a, a contribution to the art.
0: Right. Do you believe that um, now that you've been you've been on all these? So how has how has daytime changed in your eyes since the beginning? I mean, how different is it now than it was back in the 80s and 90s?
1: Well, we don't have the audience to start with. We have an audience, and I we have a bigger audience than probably the ratings indicate. But uh, everything is now. Everything is now quicker uh, because you're fighting the clock and you've got, to, you've got to do more work with less money. And so we don't have the time anymore to sit down and, uh, and, and really examine what we're doing and pull it all apart. You do a lot of work at home. And uh, I try to get into work early so that I can sit down and go over stuff with the people i'm working with um and see you know what their take is and how how that's going to change my take so to speak now back in the day we had you know we didn't start work till about nine o'clock in the morning and we did blocking and then we went off and had lunch then we came back and we had a dress rehearsal and after that we would sit down and do notes with the producer and so you didn't actually start to tape the show until you know four thirty, five o'clock in the afternoon, and you were there till whatever time you finished. Those days are gone. Wow. You come in, you block, bang, you're you're in makeup and wardrobe, and you hit the you hit the deck running. So,
0: do you, do you think that, that has that that has diminished the quality of daytime dramas, and that's why? We're seeing, like, the end of them, which four left? Or do you think it's... What do you think has, you know, contributed to the downfall?
1: Reality television definitely had a big impact. No question about it. There was a series of strikes that came along, one by the Writers Guild, and then there was another one after that, which started the ball rolling. The time bomb started to tick after that because then the networks looked around and said, hey, these guys go and strike and we've got all this time that we need to fill. What are we going to do? And I guess somebody at some point drew attention to a uh, a project that they were doing over on um, MTV at the time. Uh, I think it was called Real World or something like that where oh, they just oh, shot a handful of people and threw them into a room and throw a camera in there and let's turn the camera on and see what we get and it turned out what they got was terrible but compelling because it was real Mm -hmm. and that that was the start of of the network's understanding and experimenting with reality television now a lot of what they do in reality is not too far removed from what we do on a soap because they're now getting into structure. They're now getting into scripting a reality show. Right. But uh, the damage that this did was irreparable. I mean, and then we had the OJ trial, which was like about as real as you could get actually happening, and people couldn't get away from it. And the momentum for that sort of thing has has dried up, so to speak. And uh, there's actually an audience coming back now for soaps, and we've seen in the last two years, I think, uh, audiences have gone up radically. But um, what this holds for the future, I don't know. I think now that we're actually down to four soaps, it's a manageable number. right? Whereas before it was fairly unmanageable it was about 12 or 14 or whatever Mm -hmm. um with four you know you've got a a degree of manageability and i think what we're seeing is you know a lot of people who used to watch are coming back uh in terms of eking out a new audience that's much harder because these are the type of shows that kids are not going to watch i mean i should look at my own kids and get a handle on what they're doing and ask them questions they're not looking at network television period so uh it probably doesn't bode well for network for the future right but how far that future is in the future i don't know Mm -hmm. i mean i see bright spots and then all of a sudden it goes back to what it was and so I don't know what to, what to tell you there. I think as things stand at the moment, I think things are pretty solid. Certainly Y&R, uh, we're doing some, we've got some really interesting stuff coming up. And um, I, I take it one day at a time.
0: Absolutely. That's all you can do. I noticed uh, you did your own um, online series called Through the Wire
1: yeah we tried that myself and Drake Hogerstein were in it um we made a uh we made a big mistake with it, and by the time we'd realized the mistake, it was too late
0: but oh. uh
1: the mistake was we never put a woman in it, and we never had any kind of illusion in there to um, a relationship and when we realized this, everything had been shot, and so we went out and recast a portion of it, which never got reshot unfortunately, because I think the uh, the story was much too dark, um, and what we had planned for the future would have been extremely dark. It was the darkest side of the underbelly of politics, Ooh. and um, it, it might have been just a bit much at that particular time, but... I mean, certainly shooting it was fun.
0: Uh,
1: beyond that, I don't know if there's any lesson to be learned.
0: Well, would you, are you trying to produce your own thing now, or are you busy, are you too busy doing Young and the Restless today, whatever else you have going on? No, I've got a couple of other
1: things that I'm messing with. Um, probably we're going to do them in Palm Springs. Oh. Um, there's a lot of talent down here both in front of and behind the camera and there is a the desert has a really interesting look to it when you're looking at it through the camera lens and um, I'd like to exploit that so we've got uh, we've got a really good storyline and we've got a good writer attached to it and it's coming along well uh, we'll be shooting at some time this year.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: Uh, I'll talk more about it when we've got some stuff in the can. We, we shot a whole lot of stuff. Uh, somebody gave us a location, which was just a stunning house. And so we got in there and just shot a whole lot of random stuff, which didn't really have a story to it. But ironically, when we linked it all together and edited it, it did have a story. And it looked good. So what? it made no sense, but it looked good. And so we said, well, why don't we just put a story to this and um, take it to the next level? And that's really what I've been messing with for about the last uh, eight or nine months with this group, pushing it ahead. And it'll happen.
0: Oh, fantastic. Well, I would love to come out and see it being filmed. Um, and yeah, when we
1: get into it, I'll give you yeah. a call.
0: Oh, that would be wonderful. Um, now, to to close, in closing, I know that you're doing a uh, you're doing an appearance at the Hollywood show, which is where the fans can go and get autographs. It's a memorabilia convention, and yeah, you will be there uh,
1: somewhere down in uh, near the the airport.
0: Right, it's at the Western Los Angeles Airport Hotel. And anybody who wants to see Tristan should go and say hi. He's so worth it. Um, On April 11th, and the celebrities will be there April 12th from 10 to 5. Do you have a specific time? Have they given you a specific time yet, Tristan? No,
1: you know more about this than I do at this
0: point. (laughs) Uh,
1: I haven't been told a whole lot.
0: Oh, really? Oh,
1: goodness. Turn up and that's it.
0: Oh, wow. Well. Okay. Well, so uh, April 12th from 10 to 5 and April 13th from 11 to 4 is when these celebrities will be there. So no, everyone, I don't even
1: know who else is going to be there. Oh,
0: I, I have a list. Um, I, can, uh, I can put up a, a link on uh, your site so that they can get tickets and everything because tickets are $20 and early bird ticket holders get to our one hour early. See, I didn't so, even know that. Well, see, I gave you all your information.
1: I'm so glad I
0: could be of of service. And and make sure uh, anybody in L.A. uh, and anybody who's coming to this should definitely make a plan to uh, go um, say hello to Tristan, who will be there. Um, Thank you so much for spending this time. It was fascinating as usual. And um, love to have you back again when, you know, whenever you... Uh, have something new, and uh, I really, really appreciate it. It, Would you hold on the line while I just uh, wrap up the show? Sure. Okay. This is uh, Deb. Uh, Thanks again to Tristan Rogers, and everyone have a great day.